Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton is getting $44.8 million in the first round of Ontario's COVID-19 emergency fund. Councillor Brad Clark joins us to discuss that. Bus Rapid Transit, or LRT, Ontario soon will reveal the results of a transit study here in Hamilton. What are the implications? We'll talk about it. And Kamala Harris delivered her first speech yesterday as Joe Biden's running mate, and the Trump team reacted right away. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The major problem we've talked about here at the municipal level for the last couple of months now has been the financial impact that the COVID has had, the shutdown, et cetera, et cetera. It's put an immense amount of pressure on municipalities. And both the federal and provincial governments have promised that there will be some help. Well, we got the first word of that yesterday with the uh, Coronavirus Relief Fund, uh, which is a joint venture between the federal and provincial government. And uh, the first round of funding, we are told, uh, is, well, going to be helpful. Let me put it this way. Uh, $44.8 million uh, heading to Hamilton, uh, $40.5 million heading for London, uh, Burlington getting six, and Niagara getting 31.4. A significant amount of money, but there's still some questions about this and, and some questions about exactly how this is going to be allocated. I want to bring Stony Creek Council Brad Clark into the conversation to talk about this. Uh, Brad, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us again today. It is my absolute pleasure, Bill. How are you? Good. We knew this was coming, but uh, I guess the first question is, uh, you know, talk to me about the amount of money and, 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 and how this is going to have an impact, because these are, this was a pretty dire picture that you and Fred, Mayor Fred and others were painting over the last couple of months. Yeah, so our, our current deficit as a direct result of COVID for the three-month lockdown and the six-month recovery, it's projected to be just shy of $62 million dollars. And if it's a year-long recovery effort, it could go as high as $122 million. So our mayor, uh, God bless him, he was uh, very strong and relentless in his advocacy for our city. And he was working with the Ontario big city mayors. They, they were advocating nonstop to the feds and to the province. And finally, they, they delivered. And so we are getting uh, $45 million in relief. Uh, initially, and that's uh, uh, $27.6 million, uh, roughly. For our municipal operations, what we we have had to spend there, and then another 17.2 million for public transit. So, um, I'm breathing a lot easier, and I'm sure many of my colleagues are too. Well, let's talk about the transit aspect of this because that's mm-hmm. one service which I think is an essential service, frankly, in any any community uh, that really took a hit during COVID. We had we had over a seventy percent drop in ridership, so we we lost fare revenue of a, a little over seven million dollars, which is is quite a hit. Um, and of course, now we're trying to um, get people back riding transit safely, and so it's it's going to take a bit of time getting people back into into the system. So uh, we know there's still going to be more challenges for us coming, but we're incredibly grateful that this amount of money is coming through. From that standpoint and, and, and the impact that this is going to have and where the money is going to be allocated, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the numbers themselves and, and, and the mm-hmm. shortfall that you've had. Uh, mm-hmm. Because anybody who thinks this is a windfall, uh, I, I think we probably have to underscore that for all intents and purposes, this money's already been allocated. You, you already know exactly where this is going to go. There's not, not going to be much debate here, is there? No, there's not. I, I mean, this is not a slush fund by any extent of the imagination. Um, the province and the feds were very clear about the, they wanted to address public transit issues. So there is 17 million that is, is delegated, allocated specifically for that. 
And then the $27.6 million is really helping us with our municipal operations. We have been spending a great deal of money, as you know, uh, through public health and through all of our divisions, um, a, a, keeping the city going, but, but serving the broader community uh, with the fight against COVID-19. So the, there are costs there. Um, we're also getting um, later, I, I suspected about a month or so, an $11.3 million to help us with social service agencies and the homelessness, and that's through an application process to, to the provincial government. So there is more money coming. Um, what is going to be the challenge now is whether or not the second wave of COVID-19 appears and what the impact will be to the municipalities at that point. So we're kind of uh, holding our breath there. It was a little confusing when the Premier talked about this yesterday uh, during his daily briefing because uh, he stressed uh, a couple of times, actually, in the post I saw here, that this is one-time funding. But it, there's the rollout here. I mean, you know, after he said that, then you have to realize, as you just said, there's probably more money coming down the pipe, too. Yes. Well, I think the Premier's comments were kind of taken out of context. It, some people thought the $45 million was that, that was it, and there's no more coming to Hamilton. That's not the case. As I mentioned, there's an $11.3 million coming for social services and homelessness. Um, and then there'll be a, a, another payment uh, later on. Um, I think what the province is trying to do is get a really good handle on where the money is going. And so uh, the next round, they're going to be actually asking for business cases and where they're spending the money and showing exactly how they're spending the money, as opposed to just submitting the invoices. Here's what we spent on municipal operations so far. Can you help us? Uh, so there's going to be a process to the second round, but I, I have to give credit again to, to the Premier uh, and the Mayor. Both of them were re- relentless, as you know. The, the Premier continually argued with his Premier colleagues at the Premier's Council to the Prime Minister that we needed this relief, um, and, and he didn't budge, and neither did, it, did our Mayor, and they, they clearly gave a good case or that money from the Feds would not have flowed to the province and now to us. So when you talk about <clears throat> this next round, uh, do you have to apply for this? I mean, in other words, it seems as if you're going to have to do some homework here. Yes. On the second round, um, there is an application process. Um, we don't have the details yet, but I spoke with um, uh, Paul Johnson earlier this morning to, to understand exactly what has been approved. Um, and um, uh, we're confident that we have the case to show that we need that money for social services and homelessness initiatives within our community as a direct result of the pandemic. Um, so we're not overly concerned about some formalized process to, to receive that money. Uh, when we talk about social services, I, I know that in many people's minds are going to draw a picture right in their minds right now, but the, the tent encampments downtown and uh, yeah. one in London as well. Uh, what's going to be done about that in the long term? I know there's some short-term solutions or, or possible solutions that that you've talked about but we get into the realm of something you've been talking about for a long long time here about affordable housing uh which is really not the only solution but certainly a big part of the solution has there been any discussion at all with the senior levels of government about that yeah there has been ongoing discussion about the affordable housing file but more importantly supportive housing um, and we'll see what comes out in, 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 the, in the near future. We know that we are very challenged in Hamilton, as they are in London. Um, and so we are looking for assistance from the province and the feds. Um, and, and we understand that, well, we have an expectation that that assistance will be, be coming. 
Well, we can only hope. Cross our fingers. Brad, Amen. Maybe, go, uh, just for the sake of the listeners, I want to give some context here about mm-hmm. the impact this is having on the city and what COVID has had and what the shutdown had on this. Uh, because your budget, your municipal budget, as it was in London and Toronto and every place else, by about March or so, that's signed, sealed, and delivered. I mean, so this is what we're going to tax. This is what we're going to spend our money on. Uh, and... You know, we had that debate, and some people were pleased with that, some people not so pleased. Then this comes along and just basically threw everything out the window. Yeah, uh, I've used the analogy, although it's not an excellent analogy, but it, it's, you know, you plan your household budget and everything's uh, ready, and you know exactly how much you're going to be spending for the year, and then you have a fire breakout in your home, and now you've got those additional costs that you did not expect. And so you go to your insurance company for assistance. So this is something that was not on our budget. We did not anticipate a pandemic. Our budget, as you know, in Ontario law, signed, sealed, and delivered, and we cannot run a deficit. However, because of the pandemic, the vast majority of municipalities across the province, over 400 of them, were running, were running deficits. And so we have to find the money this year to pay that deficit. And that, that's, that's what this money is helping us to do. So it's, it's helping us to eliminate those costs that we had to spend that were over and above our budget um, so that we don't come in with a, a deficit at the end of the year that impacts we have to raise taxes next year to pay for it. And, and how are you going to address that? Just doing the simple math in my head from uh, what you said the, pro- the proposed deficit was, or the projected deficit, and and, and you, you put that against the $45 million that you're, you're getting from the province right now, uh, you've still got about a $15 million shortfall. Well, don't forget, we're getting in another $11 million for our social services. So um, we do have a shortfall. It's not as significant as, as uh, many of us feared. Um, and the province has still said that there will be another uh, round of funding. So we're, we're still hopeful that the, the, the federal government and the province will continue to work with the municipalities like they're doing. I know our mayor has been on the phone nonstop with the federal ministers and provincial ministers um, advocating for Hamilton. So I, I think we're feeling a little bit more confident as we move forward that we're not alone in this initiative that we have uh, two other partners that are going to be there to help us. Because of the impact that that could have, and this is before, by the way, the feds and provincial governments made these announcements mm. about uh, the financial assistance. There was talk in, in many municipalities, including Hamilton and certainly in London, uh, that were of, of reduced services, maybe some layoffs, things of that nature, to try to, to mitigate some of the impact that that was having. Uh, do you set that under the back burner now? Um, it's always in the back of our mind as an opportunity to try to mitigate if we don't get the funding that is required from our senior levels of government. Um, but I, I don't think it's uh, the, the, I would you, uh, an analogy. We we as you said on the back burner, we've turned the gas way down low. It's simmering. We we know that there could be an issue, but we're still hopeful that it won't be for us for our taxpayers. I want you to crystal ball for just a second. And by the way, I appreciate you taking the time because I know you're heading to a meeting in about five minutes too. Thank you. Uh, with the, what happened here in 2020 budget and, and the impact that COVID had, uh, I, I know that even as we speak, I know it's only August, but I know that city staff are already looking ahead to 2021, uh, as many councillors are because of, uh, of what happened this past year. Uh, and we're told now that there's a possibility of a second wave, not necessarily another shutdown. We hope to God that doesn't happen, but... How do you how do you prepare for something like that? Now you know it's not just a, a you know something that just came out of the blue. We, we're 
we're, we're projecting right now that this is going to be around for a while, and it's going to have an impact on 2021 as well. Well, some things we, we, we will be able to project based on what has transpired in 2020, but there's still a lot of things that we cannot project. Um, you know, uh, there's been a normalcy of, of behavior. People are staying home as opposed to going to work. So is that going to impact um, all of the head offices in Hamilton and the headquarters? Are they going to start to pare back on, on their rental agreements and say, well, we don't need this 100,000 square feet, and so we're going to find occupancy issues. And all of that translates into hits to revenue to the municipality at some point. And so we really don't know what COVID is going to impact on behaviors. Um, will people not ride transit anymore? Will, we, will the drop in ridership be maintained for a period of time? Those things are going to be harder to predict, but we can predict the impact on public health, on our services that we have to provide to defend ourselves against um, COVID-19. So it, it will be a, a challenging budget year for sure. Which is one of the things that I know that you were concerned about, and I've talked to the mayor about this as well. Anytime there's a drop in transit ridership, but invariably, it's not usually because of a, a pandemic, but you know, a, a work stoppage, whatever the case might be, it takes a long time for people to come back. I mean, they found an alternative way to get to where they want to go oftentimes, and they, they don't just say, drop it, okay, I'm going to take the bus again. Some do, but a lot don't. And it takes years to build that ridership back. It, it can. I, I know from my experience with the Ministry of Transportation that drops in ridership um, and changed behavior. Um, you know, I, I, I would use examples of transit strikes. After a transit strike, well, people have gone and found another way to get to work. Some would be carpooling, some may have purchased a car, and so they have now normalized that be- behavior during that strike period. And as a direct result, we're seeing a, the reduction in, in fare revenue. So um, we need to be cognizant of that with COVID-19 because it could be the exact same situation. When we talk about transit funding here, and I, I don't know how deeply you've looked into the documentation here, uh, and we've talked about money for Hamilton, for Burlington, and, and London, and all these other cities. Is there any intercity uh, help here as well to try to build some of that ridership up again? Uh, we don't know yet. Um, uh, we'll have to wait and see what comes out of the Ministry of Transportation. I'm sure they're trying to assess because they took a rather large hit, as you know, at Go Transit also. Yeah. Um, and so we're not sure exactly is that going to impact, for example, the number of trains that are coming into the municipality. And that all goes back to the normalized behavior. Will the residents who are now going back to work go back to the normal process and procedure of commuting? Or have they found alternatives that will impact that fair revenue? Yeah, which is one of the concerns. I was just in the east end of the city the other day. And, of course, uh, you've got the GO station down there by uh, Centennial Parkway. And uh, I, I'm just hoping that uh, with all the other things that uh, the shutdown and COVID have caused, uh, they don't put uh, some of the the GO Transit plans on the back burner because that's that's going to be essential. Uh, and, and I know you're going to have to revamp economic development projections and everything else. It's a, it's a daunting task, but uh, the fact that the money came through this time around anyway has got to be at least some relief for you. Uh, very much so. I, I know all of my colleagues uh, are very relieved and, and they share with my accolades to the mayor for the efforts that he put into this. It, it really was an awful lot of effort from, from our mayor and our city manager. Brad, thanks as always for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That's uh, Ward 9 Councillor Brad Clark. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, it seems as if the uh, LRT debate here in Hamilton uh, may ramp up again uh, when the uh, provincial government comes up with yet another uh, investigative report about exactly how much money it would cost to do LRT and the economic benefits. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this before, because you have heard this before about 100 times. Uh, and obviously we've seen some, uh, some mentions about this. The Chamber of Commerce put out a release a, a week or so ago saying that, you know, part of our economic recovery has to be LRT, just has to be. Uh, I, getting the sense though, the Premier's got much different ideas about that. John Best has been following the story some way, way back to the first time we had even had a discussion about the possibility of LRT in this community. John, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer. Uh, John, great to have you back in the program. How have you, how have you been? Been well. Uh, just a, a quick note. I live in the area where the power blackout was, and yeah. I think it's back on now. Good. But just to be on the safe side, I'm sitting in a car with a cell phone. Because <laughs> you just never know. That's uh, right. and, and by the way, you're not too far from the proposed LRT route either. But uh, I, I thought, and, and you and I had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I think this issue has already been decided, and, and nobody seems to want to make the next step and actually make this official. Well, uh, I, I would differ just slightly. I mean, it's clear from what happened Friday uh, with the, the Premier's comments uh, to uh, Randy Rapp in that uh, television scrum that that he doesn't have a lot of appetite for, for LRT, and the reason he doesn't is because of the operating and maintenance costs, which uh, are estimated at $1 billion uh, over 30 years, uh, you know. So, so he was pretty clear on that, but what I'm told, and, and this is since you and I last spoke, Bill, um, I've got bad news for council in a sense because, as I understand it, the way this report is going to come down, it is not going to make the decision for them. What it's going to say, in essence, is here's, here's how much L- we got a billion dollars, folks. Here's how much LRT that will buy, and at the kind of numbers we've been looking at, a billion dollars would buy you about five kilometers, or you can get somewhere in the area of 20 kilometers of bus rapid transit. If you need more money, if you want LRT and you need more money, go get it. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, somewhere in the next uh, eight weeks or so, whenever the report comes down, that's what's going to be dumped into council's lap. And... And I would argue that that's exactly where it belongs. Uh, it's well, really sure it time, Yeah, it's time for council to stop fooling around. And we're talking about we've approved it 70 times. No, you haven't. You've, you've approved uh, receiving reports and one thing and another. But uh, you, you have not uh, approved it 70 times. And the final off-ramp on this thing always was going to be the operating and maintenance agreement. So I guess they could drag it out until next year, you know, if, if I don't know how they would arrive, frankly, at an LRT decision uh, based on uh, the money that I'm seeing uh, being offered, even the federal money bill. Uh, it looks like Ontario's share of that uh, announcement that was made a week or so ago by Catherine McKenna, it looks to me like it's really only about a billion dollars of federal money. And, uh, you know, we can quarrel over what the exact cost of LRT is, but I don't think anybody thinks you can get it for $2 billion. So, you know, there's a lot of unanswered stuff here. Let me put this in context uh, for our listeners, because you just talked about the numbers that you have heard anyway. 
uh, and we'll have to wait for the report to get confirmation on this, uh, that, that a billion dollars will get you about a five-kilometer route. That's essentially McMaster to downtown, isn't it? Might get you to Dundurn, Bill. I don't know if it would get you okay. all the way downtown. <laughs> Even better, sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so as opposed to McMaster all the way to Eastgate Square. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it, we need to be reminded about this because I know that Kathleen Wynne made the announcement at McMaster these many years ago now. Uh, she said build, manage, and operate, uh, which everybody assumed they're going to cover all the costs, including operating costs. Uh, I don't know if that was ever their intention, but that was the assumption that was being made. But Premier Ford clearly is 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 not adhering to that. He's simply saying you get a billion dollars, and and what you do with it is up to you guys. Uh, no question, and and I I don't know. Uh, we'd have to parse through news releases from ten years ago to see what exactly was said. But uh, I mean, even the mayor said on Friday, and when he was responding to Ford's comments, he he said. That the operating and it was always understood that the operating and maintenance was going to be on on Hamilton's uh, tab. So I, I'm, you know, I wasn't in the room when when these discussions took place. But uh, uh, bottom line is uh, nobody seems to be quarreling now with the fact that there is an operating and maintenance cost that will be on the city, and it looks like it's a big number. But John, what did they think? I, I mean, did they think it was going to be less than this, really? Well, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've you know, when when you really look at the history of uh, you know uh, council over the last really decade now, uh, they've always taken this very very passive uh, role. It was always uh, okay if you want to you know you want to play with this project, go ahead, but just remember, we're not going to put a nickel up for for capital and. Um, I don't think that's changed, but, uh, you know, really, this, this uh, once Ford, uh, for, you know, I know we fooled around with it during the Wynn-McGinty era, and, and I'm not sure there was much council could do at that point, but the minute that Doug Ford, two or three years ago, said that the money could be used for other purposes, I think that was the point at which council needed to put its head together and say, okay, we, we now have options. It, it was LRT or nothing, but now we, we appear we actually do have options. How do we, how do we make best use of this money? And, and so, you know, I would say the last two or three years is where I think council has been negligent. They've, they've, they've had a, a, a you know, a, they've had some options put in front of them instead of a take it or leave it. And I haven't seen any creative uh, thinking around that. There was a key vote, John, a couple of years ago, and it had to do with one of these off-ramps about whether or not they wanted to commit to this. But that was during the days of the Wynn government. And yeah, and as you said, it was LRT or nothing. I mean, the money goes someplace else if you guys say no. And there are more than a handful of councillors, you remember that meeting, John, that reluctantly agreed and said, okay, we'll support this because we can't turn our back on a, on a billion a billion dollars. Right. Uh, even though we don't really support this thing in principle. Where are those people now? Well, I, I would hope that they're um, uh, reflecting on, on uh, particularly on, on what Ford said on Friday because he was, you know, he was really quite clear uh, that, that he felt that it would be a mistake for Hamilton taxpayers to be saddled with an operating and maintenance bill of that magnitude. Um, I, I mean, I think everything is there uh, except uh, maybe one or two of them to kind of say, all right, let's, uh, let's revisit this thing. I, I mean, there's still an opportunity here for council to lead, 
And uh, if they're just waiting around for this decision to come down from the province, uh, they're, they're going to be sorely disappointed because, uh, you know, the, the other person that's been ignored in this discussion is Donna Skelly. They've, they've done their damnedest to work around her and pretend that she's not there. But she does have some influence on this project. And uh, as a former member of council, I'm, I'm sure that she's uh, made it clear that, that she thinks that this decision should be made by council. And, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that she's the only reason, but I, th- I think logical people would say, okay, we have a, we have a, a pool of money here uh, that we're prepared to give you. Uh, could you please tell us how you would like it used? And, uh, you know, that seems like a pretty easy ask uh, for, for most councils, but somehow uh, not this one. It's, what we're talking about here is political courage. I mean, this is what it comes down to. The people that, that were not in favor of LRT or were sitting on the fence on this, they'd eventually said, okay, I'll support it. And there were some surprises in, in that number, by the way, who just seemed adamantly opposed to this and finally came on side because they were told the billion dollars or nothing. Uh, but they were never in love with LRT, and I still don't think they're in love with LRT. They're in love with the billion dollars, which is still on the table. So yep. who's got the political courage to stand up and say, I think we need to reconsider this, if, in fact, that's going to do? And as a citizen, John, and as somebody who's been following this from day one, I just want them to make a decision so we can get on with this one way or another. But the concern I've got is even those that are not in favor of LRT, I don't think they like bus rapid transit either. I mean, you remember, I, for people that you know, have a short memory, they had a pilot project to use bus rapid transit and a dedicated bus line on King Street. Uh, and it was supposed to be, I forget, five, three or four months. They cut it off after a couple of weeks because of all the complaints they got. Yeah, and, and I, I, that's a fair point, Bill. And I, and I think what, what we have to recognize here is that uh, if, if they do go to bus rapid transit, it is going to involve a, a separated uh, transit way. Yep. And uh, it is going to uh, narrow lanes on, on roads uh, where, where it runs. And, and, you know, we're going to have to get used to that. Um, I do think, though, that, uh, the, you know, there's very little good about this COVID situation. But the one thing it has done is really reduce traffic uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, and, and so we, we're, I, I don't think we're as hung up now on necessarily needing five lanes in each direction for traffic. Uh, and and also, I mean, there's going to have to be some accommodation, and um, uh, and and that's going to be part of the uh, the communications job. Um, there will still be uh, an element of disruption. You won't have as much, uh, you know, you won't have uh, the, the same degree of it probably. But uh, for for bus rapid transit to work, it needs to have its own its own runway. Here's again. This I, I know. So many people are frustrated because they, they they just can't seem to do this. The obfuscation here is driving me crazy. But I think if for the councillors who are are still thinking, well, I don't want to be the one to jump it and bring this back onto the floor of the of the council table or floor once again. Uh, let's look at the tea leaves here, okay? Uh, they put they struck the citizens panel. Tony Valeri, of course, was the chair of that panel, and they came up. But they did again did not come up with one recommendation. They said either or: you either get LRT or bus rapid transit. Uh, and they said council is going to have to decide. And from what you're telling me and the sources you have at Queens Park, this report that's going to come out later on from the provincial government the, and and the people that are doing the evaluation there are going to tell them the same thing. It's They're gonna not going to make the decision for them. This is going to have to be city council. It's going to put the decision right back where it belongs. This is a local transit decision, uh, and and the ultimate uh, 
determination should be made locally. It's, uh, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science, Bill. It's, it's uh, just uh, do your job. And uh, there's, there's, I mean, this, the opportunity here, Bill, whether it's LRT or BRT, is just incredible. Just an incredible opportunity to, uh, to, to have this kind of dithering. I mean, uh, you know, if somebody came here from Mars right now. They, they wouldn't get it. Uh, they'd get back on the flying saucer and go away because uh, this this is just making no sense at all. I mean, we've been critical of council in the past about kicking things down the road uh, on, on a number of different issues, and, and not always because of their own fault. I understand that. I mean, the Red Hill thing I know went on for 46 years, but there was litigation and there was interference from provincial governments in that, and federal government, for that matter, sure. uh, which held that up for a, a period of time and increased the cost significantly. But I, I just get the feeling, John, that if council finally said, look, it, this is it, final answer. You know, this is like, you know, uh, you, you know you're, the phone a friend is gone, okay? This has got to be your final answer. What are you going to do here? And you've got two options, and, and we know the council was split on this. Well, you know, it's about to t- stand up and be counted. That's what this comes down to now. We already know where the mayor is on this. Uh, we already well, know where some of the other members of council are on this. But, you know, we, we need to have a definitive answer. Well, and as counselors, they, they have every right to, to gather uh, information on their own. They don't have to wait for, for reports. Um, as counselors, uh, you know, uh, I know that uh, there's been zero discussion with Skelly on any of this. Uh, there's nothing stopping them from calling Metrolink's technical people and, and trying to get information. Um, you know, we, we really didn't need to get this deep into the muck. Although I will say, uh, in, in terms of this government, uh, they probably deserve some criticism as well because they came in with a, with a decision in December that they were not going to build LRT. Uh, and then they, uh, there was a bit of screaming and yelling and they backed down and, and impaneled this committee. And I mean, even if you look at the composition of the committee, uh, it's amazing that they, that Valeri was able to get what he was able to get out of them, um, because, uh, you know, the majority on that committee were, were people that were predisposed to LRT, and he managed to get them to agree to uh, recommend that each of the decisions, uh, that each of the alternatives be treated equally. That, that was his major contribution there, was at least getting that done. Um, you know, so there's to me, it's, a, it's pretty much a... a, a binary decision now we don't hear about the go transit decision um apparently part of the reason for that is because it, it looks like the go expansion is going to happen anyway so we don't have to devote a lot of local money to that but there there you have it um you know if somebody really thinks that they can come up with another two or three billion dollars and they can con- convince council that that's possible uh, great. Otherwise, uh, there's a you know there's a, a check awaiting a signature for a billion dollars if it's if it's BRT and blast and and something that can work within that one billion dollar envelope. So but you know um, here we are waiting for another report though, and and this one from you know being by the provincial government. John, what are they going to tell us that we don't already know? I mean, we've looked at this issue upside down and backwards for years now. Well, the one thing I think they they will tell us, and and this will be the first time, uh, the, the one thing the report will tell us, it's going to do an honest evaluation of LRT versus BRT. 
and that is something that, uh, contrary to what you've heard, uh, it's been studied to death. It has not been studied to death. The Auditor General made it very clear that there has never been uh, a straight-up, edge-to-edge evaluation of the two systems side-by-side. So we keep talking about economic uplift along the route. Who's to say that bus rapid transit wouldn't give you the same benefit? I mean, they have it in York Region. Uh, they have it in, uh, in Peel Region. In Brampton, uh, seems to be working well. A lot of development along those routes. Uh, this, this assumption that, that BRT is somehow second prize has never been proven. And hopefully, and, and then you have the other issue, Bill, that, that has come upon us in really just in the last couple of years. This whole issue of electric buses is really taking off. Uh, we've got Oakville, we've got Guelph, we've got London, Ontario all moving to electric buses. Uh, they, they have a new kind of an inline charging system where not only do you have to go back to the barn and plug it in at night, but now there's a rapid charging mechanism that it, while the bus is actually running, uh, they can uh, pause briefly and charge it. Uh, the electric bus thing is moving so fast. And, and if you look at some of these electric bus rapid transit systems that they have i mean it even looks like an lrt it's got the you know the streamlined nose i mean it's it's an lrt except no overhead wires and uh uh, none of that so i i just you know this shiny toy syndrome i i just don't get it uh you you can have it all uh, if you you know are prepared to uh, alter your thinking a little bit well, we'll see how council responds. I guess we're told it'll be sometime after Labor Day this report comes out. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly going to start some sort of a discussion anyway, isn't it? Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> John Best from the Bay Observer. As always, John, thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Kamala Harris uh, delivered her first speech as Joe Biden's running mate yesterday afternoon in Wilmington, uh, making a case against U.S. President Trump uh, for the very moment that uh, the announcement was made that uh, Kamala Harris was going to be the running mate. Of course, Donald Trump took to Twitter and started insulting her with a number of different accusations. And uh, yesterday during his speech, Joe Biden said, well, we shouldn't be surprised. Calling Kamala, quote, nasty, whining about how she is, quote, mean to his appointees. (laughs) It's no surprise because whining is what Donald Trump does best, better than any president in American history. Is anyone surprised Donald Trump has a problem with a strong woman or strong women across the board? Uh, They both got their shots in yesterday at the uh, current administration, and uh, Trump responded in kind. Joining us to talk about this is Brian J. Karam, who's the executive director for Sentinel Newspapers and political analyst at CNN. Brian, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us again. Uh, Glad to be here, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I watched everything yesterday, waiting with great anticipation for them to finally show up at that school uh, where they made their speeches. Uh, both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not new to the national stage, but this was the first time the team was together. What What were your impressions, Brian? Well, it was it was uh, actually after covering this administration for three and a half years, it was actually kind of delightful to listen to uh, someone who, on the national stage in politics, speak cogently. So it was. It was it was actually quite nice. 
I I got to tell you, yeah, because uh, you know you always wonder about content, but delivery is such a key part of this as well. And we've seen uh, in in the past couple of months, well, some would suggest, yeah, I mean, you know, Trump will ramble on and go off topic, off on different tangents and half sentences. I, I thought both speeches were very good yesterday. Yeah, they were indicative of where that uh, ticket is going. And while Trump is keen on trying to paint them as far left, um, it's not, and, and they're not. And uh, Trump going after Kamala Harris for uh, you know going after Kavanaugh during the uh, Supreme Court hearings actually plays better for um, Harris and for the Democratic Party. Uh, many people in the country figure that and think that um, that Kavanaugh shouldn't have been. Uh, assigned to the Supreme Court, and yesterday's speech under uh, underlined why, and the president's reaction to her and bringing that up only did him a disservice. But everything he does this day uh, today is a is a disservice to the presidency, and he is kind of, uh, if you watch him, he's kind of uh, self-emulating and he's uh, disintegrating into just a, a blathering mess of whining, as as uh, as indeed Biden pointed out. But for Trump to go after her for, for, you know, taking on his people, you know, Kavanaugh and, and Bill Barr, but that, I, I, you know, I, if I were a Democratic strategist, I'd be playing those clips over and over again. Doesn't that enhance her position with the Democrats? Absolutely, it doesn't. And, and, well, more importantly, look, this election boils down to the swing states. And, you know, the, the heavy blue states are going to go heavy blue. Some of the red states have become swing states. And the issues that they are bringing up are the ones that play heavily to suburban and swing state voters. And that, uh, it, it, I think Donald Trump is, is showing a very deaf ear to what the issues are that people care about. And, of course, underlying all of this is his response to the uh, pandemic, which he has completely bungled. And there are very few people that are uh, interested in hearing what Donald has to say as we racked up our fifth million case. On, in, in COVID-19 in the United States, and there are close to 170,000 people dead. At this point, there isn't a person in the United States who doesn't know of someone that has died or someone who's been extremely sick. And that, uh, so whatever Donald Trump is saying, it's not going to play uh, down here to that particular audience, and particularly in the swing states. Brian, when you look at some of the numbers and some of the switch, uh, the, the changes that have seen, as you say, some red states are now in play. Uh, some have actually turned the other way. I mean, there were red states in the last election anyway. Is it COVID or is it the economy or is it the, that combination? It's a combination of that and the fact that Donald Trump has kind of wore out his welcome. Even among people that like him and voted for him last time, they're tired of hearing from him. I mean, he puts on a daily He's acting as his own press secretary, having daily briefings now in which he says nothing. And he only diminishes him, himself in front of that in front of us, in front of the reporters, because he's not bringing any news or anything of weight to bear. It's merely a campaign stop. And people know it. And uh, that's why he's wearing thin. The more you see of Donald Trump, the less you want to hear of Donald Trump. Well, and we've seen evidence of that in the last little while. I mean, you know, these are supposed to be coronavirus updates, and they turn up to be, you know, just bashing Biden and, and Kamala Harris. I had very little about coronavirus, I guess, because there's not a whole lot for him to say about coronavirus, is there? Well, he hasn't done much. So anything that he says, I mean, he likes to call it the China virus. In 
look, I, I've been in those briefings. The last one I was in was Tuesday. It was very low energy. He didn't have much to say. It's this, He plays his same one-hit wonders. I mean, it's just the best of Donald Trump, you know, screaming at the Democrats, denying that the coronavirus is real, and blaming other countries for our mistakes. And that doesn't play to people when they have to look, you know, they have to look each other in the eye and go, look, I'm out of work. They're, you know, and I know people that are sick and dying. And so whatever rhetoric Donald Trump wants to spout in those briefings and as low energy as they have become, uh, it's it's playing very poorly in the U.S. And he's not doing himself a favor by being up on that stage. I mean, he is befuddled. He's incoherent. He's low energy. Donald, he lumbers around as if he's in a Thorazine haze. It's not a good look for the president of the United States. In the last election, uh, where Trump was able to win with the number of electoral votes, electoral college votes, uh, there were a number of disenchanted Democrats, I'm sure, that voted for Donald Trump and just said, you know, what, what, what do we got to lose? But a lot of them stayed home because they just weren't crazy about Hillary Clinton. Does the addition of Kamala Harris to the ticket solve that problem or at least address it significantly? Historically, the vice presidential candidate has brought little to the table as far as extra voters. This may be a historic first. Uh, the energy and the youth that she brings to this campaign. I mean, if you look at the top of the ticket, you've got two aging septuagenarians with bladder control problems on either side (laughs) on the Democrats or the Republicans. She brings a fresh voice, and she's not afraid to go after Pence or Trump. So I think she does energize voters. I think it is a historic opportunity for the United States, and um, hopefully we will cast off some of our more racial and racist tendencies and embrace, uh, you know, something closer to the ideals of the Constitution. Uh, one of the t- tweets that Trump gave yesterday, Brian, I wanted to get a comment on. I wrote this down, hoping you were going to be able to join us this week, uh, where he says, and this was contrary to what uh, the Democrats had talked about, about their strategies, that uh, that suburban women are going to vote en masse for Donald Trump because they need me, they need me to protect them. Uh, I don't know what his perception of suburban women are in the United States. I, I, I'm thinking he's still looking at June Cleaver. Uh, things have changed, haven't they? <laughs> it's not 1950, Donald. First of all, suburban housewives uh, in the United States these days are multiracial, if they exist at all, and sometimes they may be same-sex. But more than anything else in the United States these days, both spouses are working. So what the United States needs and what its workers needs are protection from the large billionaire corporations that Donald Trump has embraced. That tweet and the other one about housewives was so tone deaf as to be ridiculous. You, you think that they're right. Like you said, June Cleaver wearing a necklace and a skirt walking around the living room, vacuuming the, the carpet. And I'm sorry that doesn't exist in the U S today. He's so out of touch. He doesn't even realize that. But if that's the perception that he has, and, and clearly that seems to be evident, how difficult is it going to be for for his Republican team to develop a strategy around this? Because he does not pay attention to them. <laughs> well, he he can't. He doesn't even pay attention to himself. If you listen to him in in a briefing, he will change his mind or change a strategy or change a policy from one sentence to the next. It makes it extremely difficult. The problem that he has. It does surround it is around the, the the issues and strategy, but their strategy and their tactics are to disrupt the election and make you think that you can't believe anything that you hear 
that the truth is malleable when it's not, and they're screaming voter fraud when it's really uh, voter suppression that we need to worry about in the U.S. And if there's any fraud closing down the post office so you can't get ballots out, that, that's where the problem is. So he's going to rely on uh, his outside help from Russia and China and wherever else he can get it, and hackers and QAnon theorists and conspiracy nuts. That's how he's trying to cobble together enough votes to win the election. I don't think he's going to be successful doing it this time because there are people that will hopefully vote this time that did not last time. And you're right when you talked about that earlier in 2016, and I was at the Democratic convention. The Democrats came out of that convention uh, splintered and fractured, and that gave Donald Trump uh, uh, his his path to, to victory. I don't know that he will have that same path this time. It's going to be a, an uphill battle for him. And if more people vote, and if you look at the uh, records of the United States and, and the history of the United States, we don't vote in record numbers. But in 2018 and during the primaries this time, there have been larger numbers voting. That portends poorly for Donald Trump come 2020. I'm glad you brought up the conventions. Uh, they, they st- well, convention season. And the, the Democratic convention, of course, is, is starting next week. It's going to be... M- virtual obviously because of what's going on with COVID-19 but traditionally and, and you've attended those conventions in the past Brian yep. it's it's a it's a supposed to be a catapult for your candidate I mean everybody's up there there the energy is there the big speech by the not by the nominee on the last day of the convention and everybody it's like raw it's like a new Rockney speech you're not going to get that this year from either party uh is, is that going to have an impact because momentum is so big in an election like this well I think you saw the Democrats uh, with Biden and Kamala Harris out on, you know, appearing together yesterday, that was that that moment that they weren't, aren't going to get in the convention. You know, that kind of uh, speech and that kind of appearance with the president and the vice presidential candidate traditionally occurs for the first time at the end of the convention. So they preempted that, and this was a, a big momentum builder for the Democrats. What are the Republicans going to counter with? There's all kind of rumors that you know, Trump will eventually dump Pence. But at this point in time, if he does that, that doesn't look good for him. And so you're, you're staring at a Trump-Pence ticket, which does not have energy, does not have the, the uh, appeal of the Harris-Biden, <laughs> Biden-Harris ticket. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Republicans counter-program the Democrats and uh, the Biden-Harris appearance yesterday. Which, like I said, that's that's their key to uh, to moving forward, since they don't have that um, convention to rely on. Uh, you've got your ear to the ground down to the Beltway in the Washington area, there, Brian. I, one of the stories that was circulating a couple of weeks ago, vis-a-vis Mike Pence, is that he may find a reason to step down, and Nikki Haley steps in. So you've got that male-female thing. I don't think that sounds like Trump's idea, but is there is is there some credibility to that rumor? Well, with <laughs> The nice thing about Washington, D.C. and having your ear to the ground is that you can get run over by the next car with that ear stuck <laughs> on the ground. And, and so, yeah, those those are rumors. And with Donald Trump, anything is possible. So, I mean, if honestly, and I'm, I've told people this before, if I walk in that briefing room tomorrow and they bring out a dancing bear on a unicycle and say, here's the guy who's going to brief you for the next few days, I wouldn't be surprised anymore because there's just absolutely nothing that they won't do to try and pull the stops out for votes and attention. 
But whether or not that is reality remains to be seen. And one of the biggest uh, arguments against it is it's going to be perceived as weakness to the voters. And it's not going to. And Haley has her own uh, problems. But the biggest problem of doing that is having a Democrat come out and go and He's so unconfident in his own staff. Look what he's doing now. Do you want? And it boils down to the Ronald Reagan statement made against Jimmy Carter in 19 yep. in the mm-hmm. 1980 election. Do you feel that you're better off now than you were four years ago? If so, vote for Trump. If not, I ask you for your vote. And that's going to. So whatever Trump does, that reality is still staring him in the face. And Nikki Haley doesn't address that. Brian, as always, great to get your perspective on this. Uh, enjoy the next press briefing uh, in a, a couple of days, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again between uh, now and Election Day. Thanks so much, Brian. All right. Take care. Well, good to Take talk care. To Brian Karam, Executive Director with Sentinel Newspapers and, of course, political analyst that you see on CNN. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.